In this episode, we learn all about whale watching and dolphin watching. I invite We Whale founder Janek Andre to talk about how the industry works, the issues it can cause for whales, dolphins, and other animals, and what solutions are available for a more sustainable and eco-friendly experience. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the EcoChat Podcast. In each episode, we chat with experts in conservation, animal welfare, sustainability, or environmental science to learn how you and I can make a difference for the planet. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Alrighty, let's start with what are you trying to achieve? What's your mission right now? Well, Sam, our mission is to make whale and dolphin watching noise and emission-free. Why is that? Because currently the whale and dolphin watching industry, they they count on more than 3,000 boats, vessels worldwide. And all these boats basically pollute the ocean uh, by leaving lubricants, dirty oils uh, inside the water. And not only that, because they also create a lot of noise for the animals. And it's kind of paradox, you know, because at the same time you want to do something good and inform the people about the beauty of the sea, the ocean, and the animals uh, living in there. But at the same time, then you, you're polluting the ocean and you're kind of disturbing the do- dolphins and the whales as well uh, because of, of the noisy engines. So our mission at WeWhale basically is to make the whole thing clean, uh, take out this threat for the animals, um, refitting boats to electrical ones, uh, to hybrid ones, uh, using clean, clean uh, alternative um, powers. We'll definitely discuss solutions in a second, but let's first take a deeper dive into the problem. You mentioned a few factors here. There's emissions, pollutants, and noise. So how exactly do these affect dolphins and whales and other marine animals? Well, the emissions um, are not affecting the animals directly under the sea. So there I'm talking about whales and dolphins because what uh, what is affecting them is basically the noise and these toxic oils are going from the boat to the water. Uh, that's what's affecting them. So that's more like a contamination theme. And the emissions, of course, they are going up into the atmosphere and creating creating uh, atmospheric pollution. So basically, there are two different things, let's say, uh, in that sense. And if you would, like, say, count on it, I mean, you can, you can make a calculation of uh, what I said before, 3,000 boats. Honestly speaking, I don't know all the type of boats of those 3,000 boats, but um, if you sum them up, definitely you will have a significant um, yeah, number of emissions going out to the atmosphere. Uh, yeah, but at the same time, our focus is purely more also on reducing noise, uh, ocean noise, noise pollution, and uh, toxic oils and lubricants. Very interesting. I'm not an expert on ships, so why do ships have these toxic oils and why are they released in the first place? Well, mainly because of the engine system, because the same as a car, you know, normally uh, ships, vessels, boats, uh, however you want to name those vehicles, <laughs> they are they're using diesel engines or petrol engines. So uh, out, of, out of the simple drive system, they need to leave uh, oils in the water. Uh, and that's not because it, it's, there's some leakage or something or some failure of the engine. It's just because the engine's working like this. That's on the one hand. And on the other hand, uh, 
Um, I don't know, a very simple thing is actually, I don't know if you have been doing snorkeling or diving at some point, and then when you hear like kind of, uh, listen, uh, hear, hear kind of a boat driving close by, uh, the noise is very annoying. Why is that? Because under the water, uh, noise is traveling much faster than uh, above the water. And that's why actually uh, noise pollution in general is a very big problem for for whales, dolphins, let's say all animals living below the sea. Got it, got it. So how exactly do these toxic oils affect marine animals? They breathe them in um, and they can swallow them as well. And normally whales and dolphins, they don't have so much sophisticated smelling sense. So they don't smell a lot. And that's uh, very dangerous for them as well because uh, sometimes these oils smell uh, even up in the air. So as you know, whales and dolphins, they need to come up to breathe. So they could even even uh, even uh, already uh, breathe in those those dirty uh, yeah, uh, oils uh, just because of as you would breathe in, you know, if you would be behind a car and the engine is working, then you just breathe, breathe in the smoke. Um, and the same happens in the sea uh, with these with these uh, the systems of uh, yeah, petrol and, and diesel engines. And so, yeah, basically, um, because of their lack of the smell sense, let's say, they, they just cannot avoid it when they're behind the boat or next to a boat that they breathe in or even sw- swallow these, these oils or smokes. Are there any specific outcomes or symptoms from these dolphins and whales breathing in these toxic oils? Uh, well, we have, we have there, there are no specific studies on that yet because uh, normally when strandings are happening, then the, there's it's kind of sort of a necropsis of, of, of the animal and then they detect basically what's the reason of the death. Uh, but um, there are no published studies yet. What we know, for example, out of the, yeah, for example, here the, the local orca killer whale population in southern Spain, for example, they have like kind of uh, a certain, a certain, um, sense of brain damage, let's say, let's say it in that way. Um, well, people are speculating about it um, because of the contamination in the Strait of Gibraltar, uh, just because of these oils, because as you might know, the Strait of Gibraltar is one of the, one of the most um, frequent traffic ways on sea, so sea traffic ways. Um, and so they're passing, for example, 300 big shipping lines every day passing through a small strait, only 70, 17 kilometer, uh, uh, of, uh, only with a width of 17 kilometer. And there are a lot of whales living in the Strait of Gibraltar. So the orcas, um, they have been, well, we have been, not, not me, but uh, let's say the scientists have been detecting basically that they might suffer of a certain kind of brain damage, brain disease because of toxic oils. Oh, wow. So 300 large ships passing through the strait per day. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and, this, and this only counting the big shipping lines. So there are more recreational boats passing by, more ferries passing by as well. So, yeah, um, it's actually the strait where the Atlantic Ocean joins the Mediterranean Sea. And the only way for ships go into the Mediterranean Sea and the only way for ships to go out of the Mediterranean Sea. 
uh, apart from the Suez uh, Channel. So that's why this Strait of Gibraltar is so highly, um, yeah, so much traffic there. All right, moving on to noise now. You mentioned with all this boat traffic, it also creates a lot of noise pollution for the animals under the water. So how exactly does noise affect these animals? Well, the main thing is they cannot communicate anymore together because whales and dolphins, they're highly social social uh, animals. They communicate their own language. Uh, they, they, uh, yeah, they hunt uh, based on communication. They live together based on communication. They protect themselves based on communication. So everything what they do actually is based on communication. And if there's a lot of noise, you just can simply not communicate. Same as us. Imagine we would be, let's say, next to a train station the whole, the whole, the whole day. Uh, and there would be a lot of trains passing by just the whole day. Uh, we could not communicate uh, anymore to our neighbors, let's say, or to, yeah, even to your couple. So it's the same in that sense. Uh, so they lose, they have, uh, they cannot communicate anymore. And then the second thing is the loss of orientation. <clears throat> so as they use their, their sonar, to navigate themselves, they lose or they might lose orientation and then animals, the animals might strand and die. Sorry, can you repeat, what do they use to navigate? A sonar. A sonar. Ah, sonar. Okay, got it, got it. Mm, exactly. Echolocation, they use echolocation and uh, a sonar mainly. So, yeah. Can you explain what exactly is echolocation and how does it work? Yeah, basically, basically it's like they're sending out a signal uh, which is creating an internal image for them, because uh, they have like eyes. The eye, the, the, the eyes, more or less, they have the same um, quality, let's say, a seeing quality as ours, more or less. But uh, imagine we as humans, we are below the water, we don't see a lot, you know, because uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty blurry. So actually, if whales and dolphins would only have the capacity uh, of our of the eyes they have, and they would need to hunt. They would be pretty lost, so that's why they rely heavily on their sonar and their echolocation. So it's kind of they're sending out a ping, let's say, and then this ping is coming back to their brain, and then they they project themselves inside their brain a three D image, and then they say if it's, it's a, then they see if it's a fish, if it's a stone, if it's a, a different animal, if it's a boat or whatever. So they kind of uh, have this capacity of uh, creating a 3D image by sending out a certain ping and getting the information back from this ping. Got it. So they ping out a signal and then it hits some objects in the ocean, which reflects the signal back to them. And from this, they can create this 3D image. Exactly. Got it. This is what bats do as well, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Just more, a little more developed. Uh, because they have a brain size as we do, mostly bottlenose dolphins, they have almost the same brain size as we do. And then even orcas, they have a much bigger brain than, than we do. So they, it's, there are not a lot of studies about this, but uh, we humans still know little about their intelligence and about the capacity, their brain capacity. All right. Well, same question as the toxic oils question. Are there any specific uh, symptoms or outcomes or damage to these whales and dolphins from all this noise pollution? Uh, well, if they're too close to a boat, they can also experience hearing damage. That's totally true. Yeah. But the main consequences, as mentioned before, they're basically loss of orientation and the loss of communication among them, uh, what then can also lead to a group split. So orcas, for example, they're also highly I have a highly social bond. So they never really leave their group, their pot, they call it. 
their pot in in the whole life. Uh, but if you have like a lot of ship noise and traffic noise and ships might go through or even into pots, then they might lose their family. And uh, if then ship noise is not lowering down, uh, basically they cannot find back to their group. Hmm. You also mentioned if they become too disoriented, they might strand or beach themselves. Is that the same as like committing suicide? Well, it's not, uh, it's not on purpose, but they just lose orientation and don't know where to go anymore. That might be because their sonar is, is uh, kind of damaged or their communication, exactly their communication uh, capacities uh, are, are pretty much disabled. One question, I don't know if you have the answer to this, but what's the radius from the ship or like how far away from the ship would it take for the noise to not affect the dolphins and whales or other animals? That's a good one. Depends basically on the speed of the boat and of the engine power and the size of the boat. So these three elements affect this, uh, the response to this question. So yeah, uh, there's no general, definitely no general answer for this. <laughs> got it, got it. So how does the current whale watching industry work? You mentioned there's like over 3,000 ships that do this across the world. How do they operate? How close do they get to the whales? And yeah, can you just give me an overview of how this all works? Generally speaking, as mentioned, mostly, let's say, 95% of the boats are driven or are, yeah, they do have drive systems using petrol and diesel engines. And that contributes to the problems we have been just discussing before. Uh, and then... Certainly, they are very big boats as well. Kind of, you have to imagine like ferries, big ferries where even 500 or 1,000 people sometimes can enter this boat. Or yeah, let's say 100 up to 1,000 people can enter this boat. So imagine what kind of power you would need for this boat. Uh, so they have very big engine systems. And then if these boats are kind of, like, kind of getting next to a whale family or whale group, uh, it, it, it's, it's definitely very annoying for these animals. And then if you even have a few boats, let's say three, four, five boats around the same whale, then it's even getting more uh, annoying. And that's, if you talk about the global whale watching industry, there's a, basically a lack of regulation. So some countries are regulating the frequency, how, many, how, how often whales can be seen, visited, whales and dolphins. And some countries just don't simply care. Um, and that's actually where, let's say, the whole world is, is kind of very different. For example, in, in Europe, uh, where we mainly operate at the moment, uh, every country has its own regulations. But to give you just a simple example, in Portugal, for example, you can even swim with dolphins in the wild. Uh, but in Spain, for example, it's forbidden. You cannot do that anymore. So... And even those two countries, which are neighbors, and they have a lot of uh, cetaceans in their waters, uh, they have different regulations. Um, and then if you go, for example, to Norway, the same, you can swim with whales, snork snorkel with whales, uh, and there's no capacity, um, capacity definition. So basically, there can be 10 boats just with one pot of whales and dolphins. Uh, it's just insane in the end because it's like if we would uh, let's say sitting in our in our living room having dinner 
And then a lot of people are just coming into our living room and taking pics of us when we're having dinner and annoying us the whole day. <laughs> That's a good analogy. All right, so we mentioned a ton of problems. There's a lot of boat traffic, there's a lot of noise, a lot of pollution, and there's not much regulation for certain countries. So you get a lot of tourists in some areas just disturbing these whales and dolphins all day. So what's the solution? Well, the solution basically is uh, it comes, I think, from the general public or from the tourists or from the people uh, willing to watch uh, cetaceans. Uh, and um, because if the most important thing is, I think, if they inform people should inform themselves about whales and dolphins before they do any whale or dolphin watching trip. Uh, what are the threats? Uh, why these animals are living there? And then what's the right way of going to a whale and dolphin watching trip? And there are many information, many information actually online. You can see there are whale and dolphin uh, watching regulations, code of conduct. So you should actually ask the operator you're going, you're going to ask him, hey, what are, what's your code of conduct? And are you really applying this code of conduct uh, when you do the whale and dolphin watching operations? And if they mostly, I guess, people will just say, yeah, we're doing this. But then if you're on board, really check out if they're complying with what they have been saying as well. And if not, mm, I mean, legally, you can always file charges against people, uh, companies, whatever, uh, if they're not complying with the with the rules of respecting and uh, yeah uh, protecting the animals, because um, I guess we have a pretty clear picture of what is responsible uh, land animal animal land, uh, land uh, animal uh, responsible responsible behavior of humans when they look at animals on land, because if you go to a safari maybe in South Africa or wherever. Uh, and the operator would just drive into a lion's family, then you would definitely say, hey, are you crazy? Why are you just frightening these animals, you know? But we don't have a very good concept or understanding of what's happening in the ocean. So I think we should create kind of an educate ourselves uh, in terms of what is a responsible whale watching and then really check on that if the operator is applying the code of conduct. Let's say I'm a tourist and I'm traveling in, I don't know, Spain, and I want to go whale watching. Are there any certifications that I should look out for? Or like, how do I know that that particular whale watching operator is a responsible one and I should go with them? Yeah, there, there, are, there are limitations in terms of, um, of licenses. So for example, in Spain, you need a license uh, to do whale and dolphin watching. However, uh, these license licenses are not telling you directly if if this is a way responsible whale and dolphin watching operator. So in terms of regulations, yeah, I can I can uh, respond to your question. Yes, they are regulations, but the problem is that most of the operators are just don't care about these regulations. Um, and then that's again a little bit what I'm what I'm telling you before because. There's so much demand, let's say, to see a whale or a dolphin in the wild nature, what is good on the one hand, so that people, that operators actually just say, yeah, I just don't care. I just go out. Uh, people should take a quick picture and then go back again uh, to on land. And then I take out the next group and let's say making quick money. And that's where people and clients, guests um, 
should be really careful. And so that's what I meant before. They should kind of make a due diligence of the of the whale and dolphin watching operator uh, before they just jump on the boat. And if they see when they're on the boat, just should talk to the guys and make this the whole thing public uh, on social media, Google reviews. So there are a lot of, I think today there are a lot of uh, different tools anybody can use to just say the truth about certain whale and dolphin watching operators if they're not uh, following the code of conduct and not doing it responsibly. It's great that you mentioned that. I want to dig deeper into this issue because I want to provide our listeners with more information on what they can look out for if they ever decide to go whale watching. So let's say I decided to go with this operator. I'm on their ship already. We are going whale watching. What are some actions or things that I should look out for that's a sign that they are not responsible. They are violating the code of conduct. To keep this very simple or very clear, let's say also understandable for persons, uh, you should always be, there should never be more than three boats around a whale or dolphin group. And what does it mean around? It's not, you can never put yourself in front. So you should always go in, in parallel to, to the group or uh, in diagonal uh, approaching them. So you never go behind and you never go in front. So basically you, you need to go in parallel. And then if they approach you, okay, fine, then you just stop the engine and stop the boat, but you don't drive anymore. And again, you, you, you never go backwards with the boat. That's absolutely no-go. Uh, so you drive very slow. You should go very slow, two, three knots maybe, uh, in parallel to the whales. And then keep a distance of, of, of at least fifty meters. That's that that's uh, that are very simple. Uh, that are very simple uh, rules, for example. And then if you see if they're feeding, or if they're basically resting, you just simply don't disturb them. You don't disturb them, and you don't go uh, into a group which is resting, feeding. Uh, then you simply stay away at least one hundred meters and observe. And you don't drive the boat closer to the, the family. Awesome. I think those are worth repeating. So not more than three boats per group of dolphins or whales. Exactly. Don't approach a group from the front or behind. Always drive in parallel to the group of dolphins or whales. Exactly. Never drive backwards. And then always keep a distance of at least 50 meters. And yeah. if they are resting or feeding, then increase that to 100 meters. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we covered the best practices of whale watching and how we can reduce the noise pollution and just reduce disturbing them in general. But what about removing or reducing these toxic chemicals from the boats? What are some solutions for this? Yes, so the solution would be if we step-by-step switch or remodel our boats to electric or hybrid ones. Uh, Because nowadays we have technologies. Uh, the same as have what is happening in the car industry. Um, I mean, nowadays, I guess everybody knows that it's pretty affordable to have an electric car. Um, the batteries are ready to have like a certain autonomy. Um, the same is happening in the boating industry. So there's a simple way that's basically an advantage in terms of or compared to the car industry, you can refit a boat because uh, a boat is normally structured a little bit more simpler than, than a car. So basically, it's possible to, to, to make a boat, a hybrid one at least, or a fully electric one, even, even though the boat is at the moment 
uh, a petrol driven uh, boat or a diesel driven boat. So there's a clear path for the future. I think um, whale watching operators should take into account that they should refit their boats to to hybrid or total electric ones. At the same time, I think it's it's also necessary, say on the political side, to incentivize those changes. So because what's happening also, Sam, to be completely honest, of course, if you are a whale and dolphin watching operator, um, you operate basically mainly the whole year, depends where you are, or maybe nine, nine months of the year. So if you now take out your boat and you need to make a remodelation, it takes at least a six to seven months. So you will lose more than half a year. So who's financing this loss that you, need, that you cannot go out and, uh, and uh, yeah, finance your operations, basically? And at the same time, who is giving you the invest to make the, to make the boat a hybrid or electric one? So there are two things at the same time I think we need to think about and where also governments need to, need to incentivize uh, yeah, the industry. Do these electric options already exist? Like, are there already brands or producers of electric boats? Yeah, there are many brands out. And there are many, many uh, system integrators. There are many engine providers of fully electric uh, engines. So the industry is pretty developed already. So it's not the lack, and it's not, there's not a lack of offer. Hmm. What about the cost? Would it be much higher than a petrol or diesel boat? Initially, yes. Initially, yes. The say the, the initial purchase uh, might be higher at the moment, but then the maintenance cost is going towards zero because uh, the same as with the cars, actually, normally elect- electric engines, they don't need a lot of maintenance. So, uh, and but petrol and diesel-driven engines, they, are, they, are, they need a certain level of maintenance the whole year around. So, yeah, maintenance costs going down. So, normally, you can say after four to five years, uh, you will have kind of an, an equal balance of, 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 of the cost com- uh, comparison. And then, of course, for starting from the fifth year, let's say the electric version would be much cheaper than the, than the, conver- than the conventional version. All right. So we addressed the solution to reducing these toxic chemicals from the boats, which is to switch to electric or hybrid boats. Um, what about noise? Would these electric boats also reduce noise pollution the same i give all i like to give the example of the cars because if you uh, if you have an electric car next to you and uh and the car um using petrol gas i mean you don't even hear the electric car sometimes so the same is happening in the boating industry you don't hear really the electric engines and that's so it's like two things at one time you know you take out the lubricants and oil uh, oils uh, this threat at the same time you reduce noise. All right. So would you say simply converting to electric boats, would that be the main solution for this? Or are there other solutions you would like to mention? Yeah, that would be the main solution because there's, they're not such, uh, they're not much alternatives. Um, in the end, if you talk about whale and dolphin protection, you could, you definitely would need to set certain capacities towards boats going out to do whale and dolphin watching around the world in every country. So that's, that's a different thing. So it's not just the free market, let's say here, where 20 boats can be around one pot of cetaceans. So that's, that's, that's not the point. There's certainly demand for it, uh, but there I think there need to be a certain regu- regulation on, on 
on the political side uh, that these whales by default are protected by too much too much uh, boat visitors yeah let's say um, and then at the same time these boats in my opinion should have certain standards that they should always always apply the code of conduct uh, and step by step con uh, should these boats should be converted to electric or hybrid ones to reduce the noise and this uh, the output of toxic oils and smokes got it that makes sense are there any places or regions that you would not recommend tourists go to for whale watching like they're notorious for being disrespectful to the whales and in general we just shouldn't do any whale watching in those areas well from my own experience i can only i think talk uh, out of my own experience i would say the southeastern part of tenerife should be avoided definitely because they're just simply too many boats so tenerife for our listeners it's uh, an island Spain, uh, where it's the third or fourth biggest uh, whale and dolphin watching market in the world, I think. Uh, so there are a lot of whales and dolphins there. Um, and the southeastern part is just simply uh, yeah, insane because boats are chasing dolphins and whales. It's just too crowded, let's say, for these animals. And there are certain injuries. Then you have the fast ferries as well. As the name is already saying, fast ferry. So actually, this year we already had like many deaths of of sperm whales, where the fast ferry hit a sperm whale simply. And yeah, so this 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 is a situation which is not sustainable, definitely. And then there are many other parts of the world as well where you hear that uh, whale and dolphin watching is not not respectful at all. But yeah, I cannot talk about this because I haven't seen it with my own eyes. Hmm. You mentioned a very interesting point, which is that a few sperm whales were killed from boat collisions. So can you talk more about that and how frequently these types of events occur? Uh, well, in this specific uh, case was not the whale watching industry. It was the fast ferry, so more like the, the transport industry. Because uh, as you might know, the Canary Islands, there are small islands next to it. So a lot of ferries traveling in between those islands. And uh, yeah, a few years ago, they had like this this idea to install fast ferries that people can travel uh, faster from one island to the other. But at the same time, people did not think about that these fast ferries um, basically present a big threat for the living animals there in the oceans, which mainly migrate in between the animals and also residents of the of the of the islands. Um, what does it mean? So they live there the whole year. Then they also migrate from one island to the other island sometimes. And yeah, as these fast ferries, as the name is already saying, going very fast, um, and whales mainly sleep uh, on the surface, so they don't sleep on the, in, in, in deep waters. Why is that? I think it's also pretty interesting, because they need to breathe. They're mammals, just as we are, so they need to breathe. And uh, so that they can survive, uh, basically one half of the brain is sleeping, and the other half of the brain is taking care of the breath. And that's happening then on the surface. Then when there's a fast ferry coming, just with, let's say, 30, 40, or 50 knots, it's pretty quick. Then the whales cannot just react as quick um, and they got hit. And so then they die. 
that's a very big threat. So it's estimated that several hundred thousand whales, dolphins die every year because of of ship collisions. And that's one of uh, it's a very big number. It's only a dark number. And yeah, so that's a very, very big threat for, for those animals, uh, fast ferries and ferries in general and marine traffic in general. Hmm. Is there a technological solution for this? For example, designing like less deadly propellers? Uh, no, it's not because of the propeller in that sense. Uh, it's because of the simple speed oh, okay. uh, that they hit, you know, the whale, the animal, Got it. just um, by hitting it with, uh, with, the, with, with the full speed. So they cannot react. And technology, technolo- technological solution. Yes, there are some some uh, organizations, and also we are actually developing a kind of tool where we track uh, all whale dolphin sightings we're having. We put this into an application, and would like to create kind of hot zones of whales and dolphins where they live, because we have the privilege to be out every day uh, at the ocean. So uh, what we like to do in the whale watching industry that, that everybody is kind of tracking their sightings and then we put everything together in, in one application or one technology and this application can then be provided to the transport and the shipping lines. And if they would then kind of have an alert system, so the captain would be alerted when they are approaching a hot zone where whales and dolphins live the whole year around. And they could simply reduce the speed or take a yeah, small, small, let's say, small deviation of, of making a turn, going around the group of whales, taking a different route, let's say. And this would already help a lot because if you reduce, if you would reduce, and there are studies for this, if you would reduce speed by 50%, uh, by 20% already, then you would, would, would reduce the death toll of up to 60-70% uh, in terms of ship collisions. Very insightful. So let's say our average listener, they hear about this issue and they want to push for change. They want to influence the whale watching industry to change, to be more responsible for the animals. What can the average person do to influence this change? Um, yeah, the first thing is if you do a whale and dolphin watching excursion, inform yourself and be aware of this code of conduct we have been talking about before. Control if the operator is really doing the code of conduct. And if you have friends going to a whale and dolphin watching excursion or to an area where this is offered, uh, talk with them about it and inform them about it. Um, then uh, that, that's something very, very useful already. Talk about it, educate and communicate. I think that's the key in the end. And at the same time, um, maybe maybe I'm going now a little bit outside of the topic of, of pure whale and dolphin watching uh, in the wild. So Sam, there's still a lot of captive and yeah, uh, dolphins and animals in the world, which are simply held in small concrete tanks. Um, so in the US, uh, in Canada, in Europe, Spain, there are a lot of, of marine theme parks where there are many dolphins and even killer whales kept the fold. So that's actually the worst you can do. And I like to do a, again comparison to the human world. It's like if you would put in, let's say, a person from from China, from India, a European, and a South American into a small bathroom of four square meters, 
And she would tell them, now you need to do tricks here the whole day and uh, live together the rest of your life. And of course, we swarm in the bathroom. So of course, <laughs> there's no common language, there's no common culture in that sense. Uh, so that cannot work. And you would drive logically crazy at one point. The same is happening to whales and dolphins in captivity. Because they are so intelligent, um, they cannot just be closed in a very small concrete tank where, where they um, yeah, and because they belong to the sea, to the ocean, where they're coming from. And that's something very cool. I think we, we humans still do and still we're not really aware of because sometimes it's easy, you know, you're going, you're going to, uh, yeah, to holidays and there's a marine theme park and they offer a dolphin show. And then the, your child might say, Hey, uh, dad, mom, I want to see a dolphin. And then it's just so easy to say for the dad, yeah, let's go to the dolphin show. But that's actually the worst what you can do to these animals because, uh, as always, demand drive, uh, drives the, the offer. And if still people are going to these shows, um, there will be these shows in the future. And yeah, that's something very important I would like to point out as well. Uh, every, every, say, person going on holidays or living even close by to such a marine theme park should be aware that this is, that it, that's nothing nothing you should support yeah keeping these dolphins and whales in sea world or these other aquarium aquaria it's the worst you can do um, i think there's a lot of studies that show these animals getting depression or even committing suicide because they're kept in these tanks for all their lives and it's just a horrible experience for them so besides just not going to these aquaria not supporting them is there anything else we can do to really impact change to stop these whales and dolphins from being kept in captivity? Like, what else can we do as consumers to really have an impact? Yeah, the most, the, the most powerful tool you have as an individual is not going to those shows, so not driving demand and talking about it, uh, that nobody should go. It's the most f powerful an individual can, can have. And talk maybe on social media about it, follow those pages which are informing about it in the right way, uh, support them with a donation if you have the resources for it, of course. Uh, so all this helps to to make a change happen towards a more positive connection from the human with, with those animals. Well, well, it depends where you live. Maybe you should. Uh, it's always important if you have if you live close by the by the coast. Um, there might be some local organizations doing some great work. Uh, otherwise, they are like uh, big ones, uh, uh, let's say, on, on a global scale. Uh, of course, we, we also do our part here because we have also our N NGO part where we exactly work <laughs> work for those things as well to liberate captive dolphins and to talk about it. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, uh, in the end, I think uh, there, are many, there are many options. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't want to point out one specific here. Uh, neither I would like to point out our organization specifically. <laughs> so everybody should make their own choice there. Yeah. Got it. And same question, but for whale watching. So let's say I go on a whale watching tour and I clearly see that they are not responsible. They're driving into a pot of whales. They're clearly disturbing them. What can I do as a consumer, as a tourist, what can I do to influence change, to stop them from, you know, continuing operating this way? 
Do I just post a review online on social media or are there more powerful things that I can do? Yeah, this al this already helps. Uh, you can yeah, write a review or go to the typical social media channels, talk about it, uh, tag them, tag this company that they have done, done something wrong. And I think this is very powerful because if they see a public uh, a person making a publication of uh, the company, mm, not talking, let's say, <clears throat> or talking talking about a, a thing the company has not done in the right way. I think that's very powerful. And at the same time, if you would like to go this way, of course, you can report this to the police normally. That's uh, the normal police taking care about it. Uh, or the, the ministry uh, regulating the whale and dolphin watching industry. So every country has like uh, a ministry uh, which is in charge of regulating and giving licenses um, to the whale and dolphin watching industry. So you should find out what kind of ministry is uh, taking care about it and just write a message there. Got it. Well, that covers the problem and the solutions for the whale watching industry. I'm also curious to hear your story. Like, what were you doing before this and how did you get to where you are today? <laughs> it's, it's a good question as well. Well, Sam, basically, I'm, I'm maybe you, you, you've got noticed my accent. <laughs> I'm from Germany, from a landlocked part in Germany. So there's no sea around my, my town where I'm coming from. Uh, the closest sea is actually southern France. 1,000 kilometers away from my hometown. So I don't have, let's say, a direct connection to a coastal community. But I felt like since childhood that I have a very deep connection to whales and dolphins. And I don't know why, where is this coming from. I'm still figuring that out, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but what I know is that my first uh, painting, for example, was uh, a whale, specifically an orca. And when I was five years old, well, if you could identify it in that time as an orca, <laughs> I think I think uh, I was I was painting an orca, and since then I am fascinated by these animals. I'm just thinking they're such spiritual as well. Wise animals, they have lived so much episodes on our planet, and they can teach us a lot. That's what I believe, um, and so I have a very deep connection to them, and then. Actually, I'm coming from the business side. I'm not a biologist. I'm not <clears throat> uh, yeah, a guide. Uh, so, And I'm not a skipper. So I'm coming more from the business side, but I always wanted to give something back to these animals. And uh, after my, my, my last journey where I founded a company in, say in, in, the, in the business world, I then said, okay, now it's time to to do something else and to finally give those animals something back. And then I started WeWell with the purpose of creating awareness for these animals in the right way by offering yeah, responsible whale, whale and dolphin watching excursions and at the same time protecting those animals by, by our campaign work with the NGO. And that's a little bit, yeah, a few words where I'm coming from and why I'm doing this, what, I, what I'm doing. Nice, nice. I think that it helps a lot that you have a business background because you've kind of learned this stuff already. So it's much easier for you to start an organization and just, you know, get started off the ground. Whereas compared to someone like me with a biology degree, like I don't even know where to start. I've never learned this stuff before. Exactly. Exactly. I, I feel like the same. I have like, we have like an excellent team of biologists uh, in our team, you know, so I don't need to cover this part, luckily. 
uh, because it's I have my deepest respect and it's so much information uh, you, you need to know if you really wanna 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 do respectful whale and dolphin watching. So that's excellent that I can completely trust on on the team here. And my part basically is to uh, talk to persons about it, develop the business, the NGO, and uh, convince other whale watching operators to to join our course and our family because we are open for partnerships. Uh, we are open for even financing, remod- remodeling, uh, financing, remodeling uh, boats to electric hybrid ones. So we are open for all that, you know, because our goal, as mentioned before, is to make this industry animal friendly and, and more responsible. Nice. Is there anything else you want to mention about your organization, We Will? Well, well, well if, if you, at the moment, we are operating in, in as mentioned, in Spain and the Canary Islands. Uh, so if you want, feel free to drop me a message to join us. I would be happy to, to have, uh, to have yeah, our listeners on board, of course. And then, yeah, if, if anybody has like a contact into this industry or interested in getting touched to learn more uh, in Canada and States, uh, in other countries, Australia, South Africa, wherever, wherever whales and dolphins are around, feel free to get in touch. And then I'm happy to see what we can do in the respective country. Nice. And how do you conduct your whale watching tours? Yeah, we, we, we only, uh, I mean, we only use uh, 100% electric uh, boats or hybrid boats, uh, basically, yeah, because we stand for this. That's our, our vision for the future, that every boat is clean, noise-free, emission-free. And so our boats are noise and emission-free. <laughs> That's basically how we work. And then we work in small groups. We maximum take 12 persons on board. We have always a biologist on board. We have always a hydrophone on board. We have educational material on board because we just not would like to inform. No, we would like to create emotions and that people really connect with the animals. And that's our mission on site, out at sea. Um, yeah, that's how we, how we conduct our experiences, let's say. <laughs> Got it. From your years of experience and expertise in this space, if you can distill it down to three main lessons or call to actions that you would like to share with our audience, what would that be? Yeah, regarding the whale and dolphin watching industry, uh, inform yourself before entering any boat, uh, check the regulations beforehand, and um, when you're entering the boat, observe if this company is doing it the right way. And in terms of captivity, don't go to marine theme parks and talk about it, that people not shouldn't go to any marine theme parks because those animals suffer a lot. Perfect. Well, Janik, it's a pleasure having you on. Please hand off to the audience where they can contact you, learn more about your work, or any other resources you would like to share. Well, you can follow us on Instagram. So the page is wewhale uh, um, underline org, O-R-G organization uh, i think that's the easiest way to stay in touch with us we publish a lot of information there or just simply check out our websites which is wewhale.co great i will add all of those in the show notes below and then since you mentioned dolphins and whales in captivity are there any other resources you would recommend our audience read or watch to get to know more about how this all works because i, I know like Many years ago, I watched this documentary called The Cove, which really opened my eyes about this issue. So, yeah, are there any other resources you would recommend about this topic? Exactly, yeah, The Cove and Blackfish, there must see is basically, uh, that's, that's something. And also uh, the the other one on Netflix, um, Sea Spirits, 
consistency. So I think these three documentaries everybody should have watched uh, when they would like to learn about ocean and also animals. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Janik. It's a pleasure having you on and let's keep in touch. Thank you, Sam. And yeah, thanks for having me. Have a good evening. That's it for this episode of EcoChat. If you enjoyed this content, please remember to leave a rating and review in whatever podcast platform you listen to. This really helps the show get promoted by the algorithm and get shown to more people. Thanks for tuning in and we'll meet again next episode.